Hey guys, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I am your host. I'm also a speaker and author and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, which is a network of public speaking clubs for women. The Claim the Stage podcast is for women who want to be better public speakers and really claim the stage. This is episode 42, and it is a unique episode in that the way we recorded it was by recording two episodes at once. Basically, the person I'm interviewing on today's interview or today's episode, Pam Victor, has her own podcast called Funny Feminists. She is an improv improviser and she runs an improv school called Happier Valley Comedy. And she asked me to come on her podcast. And I said, well, why don't you come on my podcast? And since we are so efficient and so productive at the same time, we said, what if we do the interview at the same time for both of our shows? Not really thinking about what that was going to look like or how that was going to go. We said, yes, let's do it. So the interview you're about to hear is uh, an interview where we interview each other at the same time. And I just want to add that I discovered improv last year after meeting a couple of really cool, funny, just amazing women, one being Kathy McNally, another Kelsey Flynn, and Pam Victor. The three of them are role models to me and are just very funny and have taken this this uh, type of presentation, type of entertainment, and they embody it and they teach it and they are, they've inspired me to sign up and learn improv. So Pam Victor is my improv teacher and I've taken a couple rounds of classes with her and I've learned so much about myself through improv. I thought being an improviser meant you have to learn how to be funny and you have to make people laugh. And it's actually not that at all. And it's, it's been a really great study in self-awareness, uh, how I react to situations, how I anticipate things, my own fear, my own judgment, my own self-criticism, and showing up and being present in the moment so that I can respond in a way that's authentic and real for me. So we talk a lot more about that in the interview, and you'll kind of learn more about Pam's approach to teaching improv, and I'll tell you a little bit more about my own story. So (laughs) there's a lot covered in today's episode. It's a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy it. Pam uh, loves to swear, so just be ready for that if you have any kids in the room. (laughs) And uh, that's it. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Angela Lucier, what the hell is a two-for-one podcast? I have no idea. I think when we, ta- when we decided to do this, we were like, wow, we're so inventive. We're so productive and efficient. And then I thought about it. I was like, I have no idea how to do this. Yeah. And then I talked to uh, WICF Network uh, producer who works on our show, Alicia Siegel. And he's like, oh, no, I've heard other people do it. Yeah, that's that's a... We're not going to believe that, though. Yeah, buzzkill. We kill. are innovating... <laughs> This thing that's particularly made for busy people so they can make the most use of her time. So Angela does a podcast. It's called Claim the Stage. I do a podcast. It's called Conversations with Funny Feminists. And today we're doing a dual podcast called Claim the Feminist Conversation Stage. Together at once today. To get today. Right now, <laughs> we are we are some type A women getting shit done. So we're pretty sure we made it up. If we didn't, don't tell us otherwise. But basically, we're recording both podcasts at the exact same time. Yes. And just 
Angelo put it on Clay in the stage, and I'm I'm going to put it on my my podcast if that's okay with you. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to ask each other questions at the same exact time. <laughs> we have to answer them at the exact same time. <laughs> I wonder if we could give the same answers. Maybe we could. Let's see. <laughs> All right. So typically, conversations with funny feminists is a geek out session about the state and women in comedy. But I wanted to talk to you, Angela Lucier, about how you help women strengthen their voices authentically, because I think that's a skill that's going to be incredibly useful to conversations with funny feminist listeners. Yeah, I absolutely. And I want to talk to you about how you incorporate the Eunice, which we need to spell out since people can't see us saying that into improv and how that applies to public speaking. Because when I learned about that from you, I thought that's exactly what I'm teaching. I just didn't call it that. So we need to talk about that. But people ask me all the time, how do I become a great speaker? What What's the secret? What's like, what's that like the quick fix or whatever? And, and the really sad truth is there is no really fast way to be an amazing speaker because it comes through tons and tons of practice. And the more you go up and give speeches, the more you learn about yourself. And I always say to people, public speaking is like getting a master's degree in your own psyche because it's like an opportunity for you to explore who you are in a different way. And every time you get on stage, you learn like, oh, I don't know why I did that weird thing with my arms or like, why did I make that joke? That's something I would never say in real life. <laughs> like, I'm telling stories that I don't even really believe in. <laughs> and I've done all of these things and I get off stage and I'm like, who was that person up there? That was really awkward. And now that I've given like seven or 800 presentations, I finally have figured out who I am as a public speaker <laughs> and I can oh. actually go up there and be authentic. But it takes a long time to really like connect with yourself in front of other people. And um, that's that's like the cool thing about public speaking, too, is that it's so self-reflective and you become so much more aware by doing it. it. It's the same thing with improvisation. You just have to get your reps in. And I think I try so often to try to protect my students from those phases where you just go out there and shit the bed. Like you sometimes you just have to do bad scenes. And I and sometimes they are doing fine scenes, but they're hating their work. So I'd love to protect my students, but I think that's a developmental stage. You just have to get your reps in in order to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why the Speaker Sisterhood, the network of public speaking clubs I run are so useful because women get to get up and give a speech and just like practice things they think might sound good or that they've never said anywhere else in their life or they probably wouldn't say in front of their boss or their husband or, <laughs> or anyone else and then, you know, say, wow, that, that felt really weird. I don't really ever want to do that again. <laughs> like, <laughs> or like, I'm really glad I finally said that out loud. Now I'm never going to do that again because it was, it was awkward. But actually in my club last week, one of the members made this really great observation. She said every time she gets up in front of the group to speak, she feels like she's not in her body anymore hmm. because what she does in real life is when she's talking to someone one-on-one, -on -one, she tends to mirror their energy and their body language and so she gets into whoever they are. And so she like loses herself. But when she's standing in front of a whole group, she can't do that. And when she's not able to take on someone else's energy, she has no idea who she is. And I thought that was like so amazing. That's what you mean about getting a master's in your own psyche. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so give me a rundown of what's up with the Speaker Sisterhood right now. <laughs> well, right now we have six clubs that are in all in Western Mass. And we're launching a couple more, one in Pennsylvania and one in Portland, Maine. And they are a, an opportunity for women to come together and just practice public speaking and practice like 
putting together speeches and talking about like what's important to them and what do they want to say in the world and getting clear on their mission and building confidence in their voice. So it's the groups meet twice a month for two hours and they come together and they have planned speeches and then they also have impromptu speeches and they get feedback from other members in the group. And it's always the same group of women. So they they build trust, they build friendship and there's a bond in the room. So you can get up and say like, you know what? I'm just putting it all on the table today, telling everybody about my eating disorder when I was in my 20s that I've never said out loud in my life or, you know, the time I cheated on my husband and I still feel bad about it. So I'm just going to say it. <laughs> and then everyone in the room is just like, yeah, it's like Las Vegas. <laughs> it's like Las Vegas. It stays there. Yeah. Except what happens to- in the speaker sisterhood <laughs> stays in the speaker sisterhood. Exactly. <laughs> so what if somebody's living in Chicago, Illinois, where there isn't a speaker sisterhood? But well, they would love to have one. Yeah, that's a great question. We want. Thank you, Angela. That means a lot. <laughs> You're such an amazing you. interviewer, oh, Pam so, Victor. So are you, Angela Lucia. <laughs> I can't wait to ask you more questions. <laughs> I'm not sure when because we're doing a Tuesday interview. <laughs> it's coming right but up. It's coming really soon. Yep. Um, the amazing thing is that we're looking for club leaders to start clubs all over the world, and we have a licensing model which teaches women how to run a club and we have a whole curriculum and we teach women how to market the club and it's like a club in a box so they can sign up we'll teach them everything and train them and support them and like then, dick in a box but better exactly <laughs> maybe they'll even get one of those i don't know Ooh, it's like the speaker sisterhood is crazy you're very crafty <laughs> we like <laughs> presents <laughs> we're giving presents that I I want to start one in my neighborhood. So they would reach out to Speaker Sisterhood. Um, to me. To you, Angela Lucier. What is it? Speaker, what's the website? The, the website is speakersisterhood.com. And there's a webpage on there that says start your own club. And then there's like a little um, form they can fill out that says like why they want to start it and where they are. And then we have a conversation where we talk on Skype and I stare directly into their eyes. Whoa. And I just stare into their soul. And I'm like, okay, yes or no. And that's the interview. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I just start like I learned about their background and see like if they're a good match and if they have the right qualifications and tell them about what I'm doing and then uh, we can get them started. Awesome. We do a whole training too, and you know, sure you don't just let make them go out there on their own. <laughs> right, it's a thing. Yeah, I'm like, here's a clipboard and <laughs> a lectern, and you're good to go, girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool that you could be starting. Uh, speaker groups all over the United States slash world because it's more it's more than just about public speaking what is it really about you know what I feel like at this point because we've only been running this since August it's been like six or seven months I really only understand about 10 percent of what the speaker sisterhood is I'm like I'm still going to meetings and I sit there and I'm like observing it like I'm watching the most important lecture of my life because I'm trying to really understand what people are learning and one of the things I'm I'm starting to see is that every time a woman gets up to give a speech, she, she surprises herself. She surprises herself by how smart she is, how much stronger she is than she thinks, and um, how funny she is, and that she did it. Every time she gets up, she actually gives the speech and lives and is able to tell about it, and, they're, and they shock themselves. So I think there's that whole piece of building confidence and realizing, wow, I could, I could actually do anything because I can do this, and this is the thing I thought I could never do. But I think there's more to it. And we're starting to like understand that. So that's the cool thing about it is on the surface, yes, you will learn public speaking skills, but I think you'll also find you'll be able to actually go after those dreams you have that you think like you, you're not capable of achieving. You could like 
leave a bad marriage. You could get a better job. You could move to a, a, a tropical location. Like all these things that people dream about and they're like, oh, that's not what someone like I would ever do. But they're starting to see that like all these things are possible. And the improvisers out there listening are like are saying right now, oh, improv's the same thing. <laughs> right. Right. It's about step, standing up, stepping into the unknown and trusting that improvisation will catch you. You will catch yourself and your teammates will catch you. Yes. Yeah. And at our open houses, we do this game where we have a little bucket on the table with with different speech topics. And each woman gets up and gives a two minute speech based on whatever she pulls out of the bucket. So it might be like a bad blind date or like a funny vacation story. And they get up there and they look at the strip of paper and they're like, I can't think of anything. And then one second later, they're giving a speech on that topic. Right. And so they constantly like, yeah, they take that first step and they realize I actually have a lot of stories to tell, <laughs> but I just don't always have an opportunity to tell them. And I get to teach that that I can't think of anything. That voice. His name is, he's Calvin. Calvin. Yeah, that's Calvin. Uh, Angela is also one of my students. She's in Zen of Improv 2 right now. Yeah. And so she's been introduced to Calvin, which is the the voice of unhelpful judgment. Mm -hmm. So that's that voice in your head that's constantly lying to you, telling you you can't think of stuff, you can't do stuff, you're bad at it, you don't deserve the promotion, you don't deserve a better relationship. Um you, you're not funny. You're not smart. All of those things. Those are big fat lies. Those are beliefs, not facts. Absolutely. And I, I've only been introduced to improv now since I think our, our, the class I started with you was in September or October of last year. And my life has changed so much by being part of your school and being oh. able to learn that whatever happens is just in that moment. And then we move on and we go, we try something else and to be present and not anticipate like, Oh my God, I'm going to fail as soon as it's my turn. Oh my God, this is never going to work. I'm going to look stupid. And to just like see what shows up. I think like the exercises you do in your school are so amazing. Like the, the just making eye contact with someone and waiting for something to show up. That is like the scariest thing I've ever done. I bet. I bet that scares you. <laughs> some people love it. Some people hate it. That's called, we call it heat and wait. And it's something I learned from TJ Jagodowski and David Pasquese of TJ and Dave. And it's sort of about reading what's happening in the scene before you even get up before the scene ever begins, that it's there waiting for you and you can figure out your relationship to the other person just by looking at them. Yeah. So for everyone listening, imagining you're standing on a stage with another person you don't know that well and you're standing maybe two feet away from each other and you're just staring into each other's eyes. I tell you, you don't have to just stare into each other's <laughs> eyes, but people end up doing that sometimes. Well, what else are you supposed to look at? Well, you could look at your proximity <laughs> look and body at your, language. Stare at your neck. Yeah, just stare at, <laughs> stare at my neck the whole time and see what emotional point of view that inspires you to take. Right. And then it's just trusting that what you think. So I think our, you know, this character who's looking at me at my face, at my neck, you know, <laughs> wants to strangle me. And then I can just decide that's correct. Oh, yeah. Okay. You could build a character off of that. Sure. Yeah, that's true. It's just assuming what you're, what you decide is right and going from there and taking the next little step. Yeah. And it's also a really great study in, in human behavior and being more observant in uh, of people around you. I feel like if now if like there was some kind of crime that took place near me, I'd be like, I know exactly what that person was wearing. I remember that person's energy. I saw their eyes. <laughs> I, star I stared into their eyes. Right, because what we get to practice doing in both our fields is feeling that, what I call it, the red flashing uh, light of, ah! You know, when you're put on the spot and all you see is a red screen, in my mind, it's a red screen flashing, and you don't hear anything, you can't, like, you, you, you can't even breathe, you can't think. 
But then that gets quieter every time, in your case, people step up and give a speech. And in my case, every time somebody steps up and does a scene on stage, has an improvised moment. Yeah. Uh, And then that quiets it. And then we learn to also quiet that voice of unhelpful judgment also, which doesn't mean we don't hear it. Right. It's still going to exist yeah. in both people who are giving a speech and improvising. And that's one of the most important things to learn is that that voice will always be there. Yes. But how can you get comfortable with it? Like just sitting beside you as a friend in a cafe instead of like letting it rule you and t- telling you that you don't have anything to offer. And when I learned that all the stuff that you do in your in your school, you made up like the names and the whole concept. I thought that was so brilliant because you bring this like Buddhist kind of view kind to of. like the Zen the, the Zen stuff and like it's Zen-ish. all about like being present and like I just I think it's so great so can you talk about how you incorporated some of those concepts into the school well the more I studied improvisation the more it just became apparent I am not it just became apparent that there was a connection between the Zen concepts and improvisation um, I am not a Zen master by any means I'm not even like a tiny little uh mouse in the big house of zen living i don't even are know you like a mouse turd at i'm least, a ma- i am the turd of a mouse turd <laughs> as far as knowing about zen i took intro to buddhism junior during my junior year uh like that is my formal education so i'm um, basically what i'm saying right now is i'm a fraud but <laughs> no, no but these are these are these big i call them capital t truth ideas so when i was writing the book uh, improvisation at the speed of life with tj jagodowski and david pasquese they kept saying all this stuff how they see improvisation and i'd get so excited i'd be like ooh ooh that's just like that zen thinking idea of mindfulness or being present in the moment and observing without judgment and uh, they they'd say no nah, that's not going in our book pam save that for your stuff uh, so i squirreled it away Uh, like a mouse would, in my little hovel, my little mouse hovel, and saved it up. And it just, I get to teach it when I had my first group of students a few years ago in my school. It makes so much sense. Doesn't it? And it it also takes away the charge of it being performance, and it's more about presence. And that just feels more comfortable as a new person trying to get into it, because it always seems so scary to me. But it's not scary the way you teach it. Well, and that's what I—that's how I learned it. I think David Pasquese was one of the people who said something like, the show starts when you forget you're doing a show. Mm-hmm. That's when we begin improv- improvising. We yes. start improvising when we forget we're doing a show. When we're just real people responding honestly and authentically according to our characters on stage. Isn't that when life starts, Pam? <laughs> See, you are a Zen master, Angela, this year. I want to have more Zen in my life. Maybe I just need to hang out with you more. <laughs> well, see, and but this is this 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 thing I call, talk about reframing so much, and what we were talking about with the being scared uh, requires is required of being brave, right? You can't be brave without being scared. You can't have Zen thinking without losing Zen thinking. Mindfulness isn't being mindful; it's losing mindfulness, and it's the effort, or not the effort, it's non-effort to get it back. That's what mindfulness is. That's what being brave is. Susan Messing, my improv gu- one of my improv gurus says, and former Conversations with Funny Feminist guests, said being brave is being scared as shit, but doing it anyways with the result of flying. Yes. Right? You can't be brave without being scared. Otherwise, you're just being. Yeah. So what do you do when you get scared? Do you have... I feel scared. <laughs> you taught me something interesting, I don't know, in the last couple of months. You said when, when you feel stressed out or you feel tired... 
just ask yourself, like, what would it be like to not feel this way right now? Right. So I apply capital C curiosity, I call it. And that is just asking yourself the question, what exactly what you said, what would it be like not to feel this way right now? And you don't have to answer the question. You don't have to follow that train of logic. It's just the act of asking the question that sometimes helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So like this is a good thing. Listeners can practice it when uh, if right now they're driving and they're late someplace. Right. Because I'm constantly driving and late someplace. <laughs> yeah. I was already today. So and that feeling of being, you know, like you're sweating as you're sitting there in your car and you're bummed and your breathing is, is crappy. And then that's not helping you get there any more quickly. And it's certainly not making the trip more joyful. So I just asked myself, what would it be like not to feel stressed out right now? Mm-hmm. That's it. Sometimes it helps. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been doing it and I love it. And it's right. You don't really have to answer. It's just, it gives you power to know that I don't actually have to operate this way. Like no matter what, I'm going to get to that destination. I can get there totally stressed out or I can get there just feeling kind of light and fluffy. And maybe <laughs> I need to get there a little bit late. You know, maybe that's what is supposed to happen right now. And it's fine. It will be fine. Because once I get there, I'll be there. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about Eunice. And, okay, yes. And maybe we could spell Eunice first. Y-O-U dash N-E-S-S. Can you tell us what that is? Your Eunice is the thing that makes you you. And already Angela's giggling because the, the, se- the, the f- great part about Eunice is it makes people laugh because it sounds kind of dirty, right? A little <laughs> yes. bit. It sounds like something you'd want to zip your pants up to avoid <laughs> sharing with other people. <laughs> I was teaching a applied improv a workshop, a corporate training workshop to an ad agency. And the owner of the, one of the founders of the agency, every time I said Eunice, she giggled away. And I, it just brought me so much joy and delight because it tickled her so much. But your Eunice, it's the thing that makes you you. It's your authentic self. And for my money, that's what I want to see on stage. So that's what I'm trying to train people to do is trust that you are enough. You're fine. You don't have to try to be funny. You don't have to make up crazy shit on stage. You just bring your authentic self to the stage. And that is plenty because you've had this fantastic, interesting life. Every single person listening right now has had a life that's different than my life. And that is totally interesting to me. You've all done stuff that's crazy or what you think is boring, but would be interesting and wild to me. Yeah. So the idea of living in your total Eunice seems like the best thing you could ever do. But how do you get started? You trust that it is enough, I guess. That's, I mean, it's, and it's, and it's like you said, you just keep standing up and trying it out. I know when I go and do something and I'm not authentic, it doesn't go as well. I, I feel fake. It comes off as fake. Uh, people don't trust me. If I'm doing it in business uh, situation, I tend not, you know, those jobs don't tend to work out because why would you want to trust someone who's faking? Because what else are they lying about? Mm-hmm. So when I'm about to do something crazy, so I get myself into these situations because improvisers also tend to say yes to stuff. I, I ha- Because I have strengthened my muscle of stepping out into the unknown without being prepared, I tend, when people ask me stuff, like, so for example, I'm doing a keynote address next month. I had to, I called you up. I emailed you. I was like, what the fuck's a keynote address, Angela? What, what is it? And how can I, because I'm doing one apparently in front of 120 people next month. Right. So what I'm going to be saying to myself, because I'll probably, I'll be nervous because I've never done anything like that. And what I need to do is just, I'm the least I can do is be me. Like, I know I can do that pretty well. 
So, and it's, and it seems to work out when I do that. So that's what I'm going to do. So if I fuck up or whatever that means, cause I don't know what my speech is. So yeah. if I forget it or have to look at my cards or stumble, I can just be me about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they'll relate to it. Yep. Which will probably pro- prove my point about the beauty of improvisation. And you can also talk about that if you were to mess up, right? Like you could just kind of go in that direction with the speech. Yes, especially because I'm talking about failure and redefining failure and disempowering <laughs> failure. And what it even is failure. Yeah. So no matter what happens, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> even if it's a shit show, it could be great because mm-hmm. then I'll have had that experience. Yeah. One question I've always wanted to ask you and, and, and knowing your improv school you're sort of an anomaly in that most of your students are women. Yes. Whereas in the rest of the country or world, most improv students are men. So you've had the chance to train with both men and women. Do you see a major difference in the way women approach improv? When I first started out, I took a class uh, and I think it was probably about 50-50. And I discovered that the people who I who were in the class that I most enjoyed improvising with happened to be women. Hmm. And when I ended up sort of by mistake, booking a gig for a group that didn't exist yet. And I had to, this is what, how I started my group, the ha-has. Uh, and, and so I had to go back to class. I booked this gig at my local library. And I was like, oh, we could do a show. Uh, sure, why not? October 18th, great, let's do it. Uh, and then I ran back to class and I was like, who is going to be in my group? <laughs> and I knew I wanted it to be the women that were in the class. Those were just the ones that were the most interesting and and fun to work with for me. I, w- I also went to Smith College. Uh, so that's a school uh, that is all women and people who identify as women. So maybe that ha- that was part of it. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy being with guys. I like improvising with guys a lot. But I think that women are particularly adept at improvisation because what it absolutely requires is paying acute attention. And I think women, as berry pickers versus mammoth hunters, which men tend to be in their DNA, are very, berry pickers are good at seeing all the details, right? I have, I have vision that goes beyond just what's in front of me. I have to see the scary thing that might be creeping up behind me, right? I don't have to just hunt a big mammoth. That's pretty obvious. Do you ever find that, you know, most, a lot of women are perfectionists and they like to do things when they have all the answers and then they can like collect all the information and then move forward. Do you find that that ever inhibits them or creates barriers i think the thing that creates the most barriers i mean yeah i think every i think there are a lot of different perfectionists i don't know that i've noticed the difference between women and men but what i have noticed is women tend to doubt themselves more than men yeah um so they're like oh what i have i have to say isn't important so in my group which was all women and we've been together for like 13 14 years uh, we had a hard time with initiating new scenes. So a scene would be going on, and it's up to the other people in the group to edit the scene, to end the scene, to start the next new scene or new game. And we were just wanted to be polite. You know, oh, she's doing great. I don't want to interrupt her. <laughs> yeah. Right? That, that wouldn't be nice to do. Uh, and and what, do, what do I have to say that must be much better than that? And so we had to get over that. Mm-hmm. And one way I do that is reframing it as to how can I best serve the scene. How can I best serve the moment? And so by me not interrupting is actually being really selfish and in my head. Interrupting is the best what I could do to serve the show the best. That's. In- I remember you saying that in one of our classes one day and it was it like blew my mind because it never occurred to me that I could help someone by interrupting them. And now I do sometimes interrupt people. And I, yeah, I interrupt people too. Yeah, yeah, you do. You're so good <laughs> at that, Pam. <laughs> um, 
and and so I think it was just helpful to realize like it's it's not it's not like you're being mean or you don't care about someone if you interrupt them like there's a way to just like have a conversation where you can insert yourself and you're just kind of moving it forward well the job is the show right I need to serve the show I come last the show comes first my scene partners come second and after that maybe me. It doesn't really matter. And it's the same thing I bet if you could think about it with giving speeches, Mm -hmm. right? The speech comes first, the moment the audience comes second, right? What I have to say, my hangups about it, my doubts about it are not relevant and don't serve the the speech or the show. Yep. Actually, I met someone a couple weeks ago at an event and he was about to give a speech and I had just met him like two minutes before that. And he said, oh, you teach people public speaking? I had the worst morning and I'm so afraid to go up on stage because I'm just not in the right frame of mind. Any advice? And and I said, yeah, just do what best serves the audience. And all of a sudden his shoulders relaxed and his whole face relaxed and he was like, oh, Oh, that's a good idea. And then he went up and he gave this really funny, thoughtful speech and he like thanked everybody for coming several times and he got off stage and he was like, thanks so much. It just like made me realize it's not about me. It's about making a great experience for for the audience. And then you get to actually have that connection because you're sort of like in a dance with them because you realize they're there and it's not just about what you're saying. It's like, how can I do something that will be helpful and serve them? And that's the Zen idea of non-trying. I think I must have gotten... Zen for dummies or something. So I read that about right? non-doing, non-trying, non-striving. Actually, uh, David Pesquese, while I was writing the book, talked about that a lot. And that's the same thing. Like, I, my effort does not help. So what would it be like to just be in ease? Because you know, I teach that I have these two guides that I'm constantly going for, right? Joy and ease, easefulness. Uh, easefulness is like if you're riding a canoe down a stream, you take the paddles out of the water and just allow it to go. It's when you're in the flow. So I'm always trying to have as much joy as possible because my goal in life is to die having had more fun than anyone. I like it. And then <laughs> to ha- and have the most ease. So so I'm going into a show. You're going, you're going into a speech. What is the most joyful? What is the most easeful? So I, it could be to wind myself up into knots and hate life. And listen to Calvin's voice telling me how shitty I am at this. And who am I to think that I could stand up in front of someone and give a keynote address? Yeah. Or it could just be to quiet that. Mm -hmm. Tell Calvin to shut up. Be scared and do it anyway. Yeah. Whenever you talk about the the canoe going down the river, I always change it to a Cheerio. Because I'm like, it would be more joyful for me to be floating down the river in a giant Cheerio. So then I get to incorporate ease and joy. (laughs) And I one up you on being the one who had the most joy before they died. <laughs> so you, so you win on a competitive level too. Yeah, you go, we're going to be dying at the same time. You're like, fuck you! Babe, I, won. I win. I'm going to throw a Cheerio in your eye. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my last moment. Why is this Cheerio in my eye? Um, Angela, lose your Cheerios are not water. Like they don't, they don't, they don't float on water with a human in it. Look, I'm all about inventing things. Okay. And I created a really special could you epoxy. Eat the, could you eat the Cheerio that you're floating down the river in? Um, that would not be smart. But I know, right. but could one do it? If not when no. you're in it, but like no. afterwards, you no. could not. It's not no, edible. because you shellac it. You, sh- you have to shellac, <laughs> shellac it. that Cheerio. It's a Cheerio. <laughs> Dang it. You did win. You bested me. But you me. have a box of Cheerios with you. They're separate. Oh, because so you can eat those. <laughs> you can if you're eat just those. like, God, I gotta eat a Cheerio. That smell. You know, Cheerios always smell a little bit like baby pee to me. Oh, 
I've I've only changed one diaper in my life. Okay. Recently, and it wasn't pee. And so it wasn't. And know. it was a baby. It was a baby. Okay. It was. Baby. <laughs> All right. I'm interested <laughs> in what your Eunice is, Angela Lucier. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Oh my god! And if you want to ask me questions back, you can too. I do. Okay. Uh, what would your dream day look like? I would wake up at six o'clock in the morning. Whoa. Cause I love to see the sunrise or at least like be around for all the sunlight that exists. So I can take every single drop of it in. <laughs> I would wake up at 1030 maybe. And be really cranky for two hours. <laughs> for, for maybe less, but I would, I would not want anyone to talk to me for two hours. All right, I, go ahead. I, I spring out of bed like a bullet. I would feel like death for a while and lay in bed waiting for that feeling to pass. I would live on a lake. So I would make a, a cup of green tea and I would put it in a to-go mug and then I would go out on my kayak and I would like go around the lake in the kayak with my tea for probably an hour really slowly. Like not even like burning one single calorie, <laughs> like mostly gliding <laughs> or my shellacked cheerio i'm not sure but i would live on a beach and i would take my excellent chai soy latte (laughs) out to the my right at the beach so i could like sit in a nice comfy chair but my feet would be in the sand and i'd just sit there looking at the ocean all morning i like the ocean too but it's it's too big for the morning okay i like the lake in the morning Mm because there's like you can see the other side you want to start out with a puddle Yeah, <laughs> just like put my face in a puddle <laughs> and shake it around. Move on to a lake, then <laughs> then to a gulf, and then to the ocean. Yeah, and okay. I'll make a huge breakfast. I love breakfast. It would, it would contain eggs and some potatoes of some sort. Yes. And then I would do some work for a couple of hours. Like um, I would have like four assistants, so I wouldn't be doing anything administrative or organizational at all. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'd go out and give a talk, or I would um, go and train somebody to do something. And then I would go for a walk for about two hours in the woods. And then I would come home and probably do another speech somewhere. And then uh, like hang out at home. I have a canopy bed, so I'd probably go lie down in my bed and close the canopies and like stare up at the ceiling. My ceilings have glitter on them, so I'd probably <laughs> stare up at the glitter. I'm going to stick some Cheerios on your ceilings. <laughs> and then I'd probably go out for dinner with some friends and then come home and go to bed by 10. Okay. <laughs> But now you're hanging out. That's your dream day. Uh, Mine would be, uh, let's see, the morning. Gosh, would work be part of it? I I wouldn't mind. Like sitting there um, writing a little bit would be really fun. But certainly at least one awesome improv show with my very, very favorite people. Uh, Then an excellent dinner for sure. And lunch. Going out both. So lunch would be sushi and dinner would be Mexican. All right, excellent uh, burrito with the best margaritas, and then getting high and hanging out with my favorite people and just laughing <laughs> so much and just being completely weird and stupid That's... for the whole evening. And it would probably last. Oh, and it would be lots of it'd be improvisers. I really love hanging out with improvisers most. Um, because you know muggles just don't get it no offense you guys but um i don't know there's just something i just love hanging out with improvisers so it'll probably be till like three or four in the morning wow yeah 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 that sounds like a great day yours sounds like a, an, an okay day too <laughs> should we rate each other's i feel like if i was gonna rate yours on a scale of one to ten actually it's like a nine 
Because I would probably want to have a day like that, too. Oh, except for any of the exercise, the waking and the waking up early (laughs) and the giving a speech part. Yours would be a nine Cheerio in my life, too. (laughs) The funny thing is, that's how I learned I wanted to become an improviser is when I did this exercise in this women's group that that was full of women who hated me. (laughs) And they eventually made it so miserable for me there that I left or slash they kicked me out. But anyways, they did. We did this one exercise that they said, what's your dream day? And mine was, it was before I improvised and it was full of performance. And I was like, oh, maybe I should probably do that. Yeah. So if you're listening out there, what's your dream day? Yeah. Write it down. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. If you could pick one thing to represent yourself, what cheerio. would you pick? It would be a what? cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that. Because it <laughs> has a whole... If I could think one, one thing to represent myself, what would it be? Hmm... Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, it's a tie between chocolate and peanut butter, um, a margarita, really good margarita, and my L.L. Bean sleep, fleece sleep sack. <laughs> I'm going to need one answer here, Pam. Nope. One answer. Three. Those three <laughs> things. It's the L.L. Bean fleece sleep sack, which I sleep in always, not, and I take with me. When I travel, because it's very important to keep like other people's cooties off of me. Yeah. It's very cozy and it just feels like being inside the womb. That sounds wonderful. My husband won't let me zip it up all the way because <laughs> he wants access. In case <laughs> he wants to like remind himself that I'm there in the bed with him. <laughs> and then what's the other one? Well, chocolate peanut butter because yeah. it's delicious. Yeah. Uh, and just, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I love margaritas so much. Okay. So th- those things all represent you. I'm going to go with that, but I'm not going to be limp. I'm not, I don't want that written in stone because it could be something else also like a kitten. It when sounds I, like you live for comfort. I, I like comfort. I like comfort. Yeah. Right? We both like comfort. I'm a comfiness master. Oh, that's where we really come together. The every, everything else we don't see eye to eye. <laughs> There's going to be comfort in our day. Well, I think we have some pretty good overlap. No, we have a ton of overlap. <laughs> We're like the We're same Venn person. diagrams. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I don't have any more questions. You really, I only have 10,000 more questions, but I'm only going to ask, uh, one of them, Angela. And, uh, that is what can you, I always ask the same question, uh, to everybody as a last question on conversations with funny feminists. What's a piece of advice that you could give to a woman that they could use to strengthen their voice at their next rehearsal show meeting Random encounter in an elevator, wherever. Piece of advice, give to women to use to strengthen their voice. Well, I guess this is the advice that I live by and that I would tell anybody for pretty much anything they're doing, and that is stop waiting, start creating. And that I say that because we, we, we tend to find reasons to hold off. Like, I'm not ready. I don't have enough information. Oh, I'm not the right person. Or what if I do it wrong? What if I fail? And we can come all those up with, Calvin thoughts. Yeah, all the Calvin thoughts. We can come up with all day long, but... My recommendation is just go out and do it, do an experiment, have an adventure, and then information comes from that. And then you can grow from that and you can take more steps. So for women who want to find their voice, like stop waiting for the right moment, the right day, the right occasion, and just go out and create the moment. And you'll be shocked at what you learn about yourself and others. Okay. I hope you loved my conversation with Pam Victor. Isn't she funny? Um, That's it for today. Coming up in the next couple of months, I have lots more of great interviews scheduled for you. I have 
authors coming on. I have amazing speakers. I have really interesting entrepreneurs. I have some of my own episodes and shenanigans planned. So if you like what you're hearing, please come back and listen to more. And if you have any suggestions for upcoming guests, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free to email me. My email is Angela at speakersisterhood.com. And you can uh, just, you know, reach out and let me know what you're thinking because this show is for you. And I want to make sure that you love every minute of it. All right, guys, that's it for me this week. As always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.